Well, I have the privilege today uh, to reading out of John 19, 17 through 22. Uh, and so let's read this together. It says this, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. You see, there was no more terrible a death than a death by crucifixion. As a matter of fact, even, even the Romans themselves, in regard to the crucifixion, they shuddered in horror. And yet this death is the death that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, endured voluntarily for our sake and on our behalf. Man, what an amazing grace that is. You see, I I first started to learn what grace was when I was just a little kid. I'm going to take you back here on a story um, from when I was in uh, the very beginning of middle school. I remember I had just gotten a puppy. It was a chocolate lab, and I loved dogs, and I loved my puppy, And one thing I learned very quickly about my puppy is that my dog loved to play fetch. And so I would would grab a stick and throw this stick to my dog repeatedly over and over. Throw and bring it back. Throw and bring it back. Until I got to one point where I started to get lazy with my throws. And so my dog brought the stick back to me. I picked it up with my left hand, which is not my dominant hand. And I chucked it off to the side without really paying attention to where it went. And to my dismay... The stick flew through the air and into a window in my parents' house. Now, I'll never forget that feeling of knowing that my dad was, I could almost hear his footsteps coming through the house to come outside to figure out what had happened. And so I'm I'm patiently waiting for my dad to approach me outside, and he gets out there, and he comes up to me, and he says, what happened? I said, well, I was playing fetch, I threw the stick, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry that I broke the window. My dad said, well... You know what has to happen. You have to take responsibility for your actions. I said, yeah, absolutely. So he said, this is what we're going to do. I need you to go inside, go upstairs to your bedroom. I need you to grab your allowance. And we're going to go to Home Depot and replace this window, and you're going to pay for it because you broke it. And I thought to myself in that moment, I thought, well, how am I, I mean, that's $20. I've been saving 10 years for that allowance. And so... (laughs) I, you know, I'm thinking that's all I've got, and so I, I, but I knew in that moment that I needed to take responsibility, so I went and grabbed my allowance, got in the car with my dad, headed to Home Depot. We go to the back of the store, we get the right window to replace it, go all the way to the front, and I'll never forget this, we're in line to pay for the window, I pull out my, my uh, Super Mario wallet, because that's what I had at the time, <laughs> I pull out my $20 from it, and before I can pay for the window... In, in the small increment that I have, my dad steps in and pays for it himself. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is going on? What, what, is, what does this mean? I thought I was going to pay for this window, take responsibility. 
And so I wait until my dad and I get back out to the car and he says, listen, I could see that you felt badly about what you had done. I could see that you wanted to step up and take responsibility for it. And I appreciate that. Thank you for, thank you for doing what needed to be done and taking responsibility. Why don't, why don't we go out to ice cream and celebrate together? As a kid, I'm thinking to myself, what? I need to break more windows so I can get more ice cream. <laughs> but in that moment, I started to grasp the concept of grace. I started to see that thing that God gives us. You see, God gives us grace in the moments when we don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, God gives us what we don't deserve at all, and that's his love and his grace. I'm amazed at God's grace. Today on Good Friday, I, I honestly, I stand in awe of the sacrifice that was made for me and for all of us. As a matter of fact, I can't read the story of Jesus' Jesus's trial without seeing the sheer majesty of Jesus. It seems so obvious and so evident to me as I go through the scripture. And throughout the whole ordeal, we get this image that there's no sense that Jesus is the one on trial. As Jesus, as, as Pilate approaches and faces Jesus, we actually start to see that Pilate is indeed the one who is on trial and not Jesus himself. I've always gotten this feeling that it's Jesus who is in control. It's Jesus who is in control and it's Pilate who is floundering and bewildered because he's in a situation he just doesn't understand. And specifically, I believe this. I believe that we see Pilate's confusion when it comes to the inscription that he puts on the cross. You see, in one very moment, Pilate, man, in one very moment, Pilate is going back and forth. He's wavering in his mind between whether or not Jesus deserves to be crucified, and he allows himself to be bullied and even blackmailed into giving in to the Jews' desire. And then in the very next moment, we see that Pilate stands firm in what he had inscribed on the cross and says, no, it needs to stay as it is. Essentially, Pilate yielded on the important and stood firm on the unimportant. You ever been there? Have you ever been there where you've yielded on the important and stood firm on maybe the unimportant? See, a while back, my wife and I were heading to Kalamazoo Airport to catch a flight early in the morning for Florida, and it was so early in the morning, it was still dark outside, and so as we're headed there, we're on the road, we're on the freeway to the airport, I'm thinking to myself, man, it's been a while since I've been out here, and so I need to, I need to think of something, a landmark that sticks out to me so I know which exit to get off of, so I thought of my wife and my uh, favorite Italian restaurant called Bravo, and I thought, this Italian restaurant's on the same exit as the airport, so all I need to look for is Bravo. So we're driving and driving in the dark, and I'm looking and looking for Bravo. And long story short, I drive 15 minutes past my exit for the airport. The whole time I was wrapped up in looking for this restaurant, I had missed, completely missed, the very obvious sign for the airport that I now see every time I travel that highway. <laughs> Isn't that true of us, that we get wrapped up in the unimportant so much so that we miss the important? Have you, have you ever focused so much on the unimportant, over the important, 
that it took you down the wrong path, got you all misguided, got you all misdirected. I, I believe we've all been there. And so this Good Friday, as we head into Easter Sunday, my prayer is that we as a community of pastors, ministers, neighbors, that we lean into the important fact that Jesus bore the weight of our sins, and not just metaphorically, but physically bore the weight of our sins. And yet he still tells us, come you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as people in ministry, sometimes it's so easy to get wrapped up in the details of the unimportant that we miss the all-important fact that Jesus died for our sake. So my prayer is this, is that as we head into Easter Sunday in just a few days, just a couple days, is that we take on the yoke of Christ. That we recognize that he calls us to rest in him. And that's my prayer for this community as we head into Sunday is that we're resting in the fact that Jesus died and rose again for our sake. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at uh, Mark 15, uh, verses 29 and 30. If you guys would turn there in your Bibles with me. We're going to be taking a look at those passers-by, or their passer-bys at the cross. So uh, let's start in 29. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. A passerby is someone who sees a person in need, just does nothing to help them. They're a person of inaction in a time of action. An uninformed person walking through an informed crowd. You know, I'm challenged personally when I look at the crowd around the cross. I I look and I try to place myself somewhere between, you know, the Roman guards and the the disciples. You know, like, where would I fall in in that kind of spectrum? Where, Where do I fit in around the cross? Where do we fit in around the cross? I believe that we need to carefully look at these situations. Look at these, these, these situations in the Bible where we're able to read, we're able to see where different people were placed. But I also believe that we need to carefully consider our walk with Jesus. We need to take a look at his life. You see, these, these, these passerbys, they were mocking Jesus' previous words in John 2.19 when he cleared the temple in Jerusalem because they turned it into a marketplace. He, he actually called it a den of robbers, right? Jesus, he, he turned over tables and he, and he cracked a whip and he drove out those who were doing business in the temple. They asked for a sign. They said, show us a sign to show us that you have authority to do these things. Jesus' reply was this. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, I imagine that wasn't the answer that they were expecting. I imagine that the answer that they were expecting was a literal sign of, 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 of a miracle. See, I, in, in the previous stories in, in the Bible, before this point, you know that Jesus had done miracles. And the word had spread all around, throughout the, the surrounding area. 
that Jesus was miraculous. I imagine they were expecting something, something miraculous to happen. And instead, they got Jesus' reply, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Later on in that passage in John, it goes on to say that he's not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's not talking about the temple that he was in, but rather the temple that was within him, his body. And, you know, just the love that was in that statement right there, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Had they only comprehended, had they only understood the love behind that statement and the love that they were mocking at the foot of the cross as they were passing by. Jesus was talking about his death and his resurrection. You know, sometimes I've felt like a passerby. You know, sometimes I just kind of went to church because that's what I've always done. You know, maybe, maybe God is, was calling me to, to act. Maybe he's calling, calling us to minister to those around us, to grow in relationship with those around us, and we're way too busy going on with our own lives. You know, maybe, maybe it's school that you have going on. Maybe it's you're saving for retirement. Maybe you are retired. You've got this wonderful family. You know, we, we talked about this earlier. God calls us to, to give all of that up and to realize that all of that is his. Not to just simply pass by situations, but to be completely in them and to know that Jesus is in them. God has really convicted me about knowing Jesus and making sure that my friends and family know Jesus. You see, if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we must know his words and what they mean. How can we follow someone if we don't know what they said or what they did? How is God going to work in us if we're not in his word every single day? God's grace is sufficient And I am so thankful for that, so thankful that a sinner like myself would be able to serve such a holy and perfect God. He's so loving that even those who were just passing by and mocking him and insulting him, mocking the love that he was giving, if they so chose to, were covered by that same grace. When we're weak in our understanding, God's grace is sufficient. But wouldn't it be nice to have understanding? So here's my challenge. If you're relying on your minister for the basis of your faith, if you are looking to your pastor as your only source of spiritual food, you're only going to receive what they give. And that might be awesome. How many of us have really great pastors? Everybody's saying should go up right there. God wants to know his child, not just his shepherd. When we rely on our pastors for the basis of our faith, it can become skewed. We, we might but just be simply passing by, not completely understanding what the word of God is saying. And the Bible is so therapeutic sometimes. You know, we, we come up with, with these zingers to make us feel good when all we're really doing is passing by. I hear a lot of, a lot of those. 
God wants us to be whole and to live upright and godly lives in this present age. We need to know Jesus' words and his mission if we call ourselves his followers. Take control of your Bible reading life and stop relying on others for your biblical knowledge. I'll say it. We, we pastors, we don't know everything. Yeah. If you're feeling as though you're just passing by, look in God's living, breathing word and know that he is good and that he is love. Look at what Jesus said and ask yourself, am I like Jesus? Here's what Jesus actually said to those people at the temple on that day. Destroy this temple. Break my body for your sins and separation from me. And I will raise it again in three days. Because I love you. Because I want a complete connection with you. I will raise again in three days to defeat death and be restored to my rightful place as king and as your friend. May we understand and comprehend the love of Jesus today. And thank you for being here this afternoon. Thank you, Calvary Baptist, for opening up this beautiful facility. And Pastor Justin, Pastor Caleb, thank you for inspiring us already. Incredible word, gentlemen. It's an honor to be able to be be sharing with you here today and to be celebrating our, our Savior's death and resurrection. In John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. Everybody say finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Everybody say finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, but Jesus is not finished. It is finished, but Jesus is not finished. So what is finished? The plan for redemption is finished. God's plan to redeem us, to pay the price for our sin, to overcome the weight of sin, it is finished. It has no power or control over those of us who have invited Jesus to be Lord of our lives. It is finished. Everybody say finished. Redemption is a beautiful thing. See, I once was a slave to sin. I once was a slave to my addictions, my strongholds, my negativity, my frustration, my worry, my insecurity. I once was a slave to sin, but that price for my sin was finished. Jesus paid the price for it in full. And he walk in, walked into the, the slave blocks, and I, there I was, a slave, and he said, I'll pay full price. I'll give my son in his place. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. The pressure to make things right, the worry of what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen with the financial market, what's going to happen with Syria. What's going to happen with North Korea? What school should I go to? 
What should I do about my grandkids? What should I do about my kids? How should I respond to this rebellion that's happening in my house? All the worry, all the stress, all the anxiety. That sin too is finished. And and the word of God tells us to cast our cares on him because he loves us. There was a day that it all rested on us, and there was a day that the weight of the world did rest on me, but on that day that Jesus was crucified, the weight of all of our sin was on him, and he paid the price. It's finished. Everybody say finished. But Jesus is not finished. I wonder, what is it that you're still trying to finish? What is it that's on you? What is it that you feel like you are personally responsible for to make sure that it happens? Because without you, it's not going to. Because the word says that apart from him, we can do nothing. And the ground began to shake in that moment that Jesus died and the sky became dark. And in that moment, it says that the curtain was torn in two. Torn from top to bottom, torn in two, representing that we now have access to a loving, gracious, compassionate Father. And Hebrews 4, 16 now says that we can come to him in our time of need. We can approach the throne of grace confidently to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So what is it that you're still trying to finish? It is finished, but Jesus is not because It now says that we're adopted. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we have, if we are children, then we are heirs. You know, if we believe in Hebrews 4.16 that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, I wonder what this would look like. And for me, the, the image that God gave me was something I experienced a couple days ago with my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I have a toddler. I have two toddlers. Everybody pray for me. Um, pray that God just give me an extra level of patience and perseverance as I... Learn to be a parent. That's where I need him. I need his grace. And I need his help to show me how to be a better parent each and every day. But here my daughter is with her adorable rain boots. Praise God for moms out there. I mean, my kids would just, I, I don't know what, what they'd do without mom, but she gets them this adorable rain boot. You know, the rain boot comes up to here. Well, my three-and-a-half-year-old, she's got skills. She can put on her own shoes because she's a big girl. You know, so she, she, you know, she gets down on the ground and, you know, she tries to, you know, and she's got the, the right shoe on the left shoe and, you know, she's got the left one over where the right should be and, and she's kind of like trying to mush her way in there, but the, the flaps on the side of the rain boot, it folded over. So she's getting all frustrated and finally she just takes this rain boot and throws it down. I don't know where she learned that. Uh, wasn't me. So, uh, but being a loving father that I am, I walk over to her and I, and I get down and I go, honey, what's going on? You need help? I wanted her to ask me for help. 
I wanted her to learn that it's okay to ask for help. And that she should ask for help. Because it's pride when we don't. It's pride when we think we can handle everything on our own. And so she says, Daddy, help, please. And I didn't put the shoe on for her. I didn't make the trouble go away. I didn't take the challenge away, but I moved the right shoe where the right shoe should be. Put the left shoe where the left shoe should be. And I got it started for her. And I said, okay, honey, pull it. And the shoe came on. And we got a raincoat on, and then we went and played outside and had a ton of fun together. The problem didn't go away. The challenge didn't go away. Jesus said in John 16 that we would have trials, but take heart. He has overcome the world. It's finished, but Jesus is not finished. And it is our job that in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the situation of our world and our community and economic hardship, whatever might be going on, our job is to say, Jesus, I confidently come before your throne of grace and I receive help and mercy and grace in my time of need because I need you. So what is it that you're carrying? What is it that you need to let Jesus finish? Amen. What a great day. And I want to tell you, Sunday's coming. Friday was a sad day, and there was weeping and crying, but when Sunday came, victory, open grave, rejoicing. So Sunday's coming. I hope you're telling other people about Sunday. Don't just get there yourself. Bring somebody with you and fill the churches all over the city. May this be a, just a great time of revival. Believe it. Trust the Lord for it. Uh, expect it. That's what faith is all about. Wouldn't it be great if God could move into all of our churches and, and uh, just uh, in a wonderful way, just uh, bring the 100,000 people that don't go to church to go to our churches so they'd have to stand outside in order to get in. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Sunday's coming. We're glad for the cross. We're, still in, we're so indebted to the cross. And Jesus died, but he rose again. Sunday's coming. Thank you, Lord. That's our hope. That's our strength. May we proclaim it. May we share it. May we live it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.